Hey, y'all. Pretend we're football for the next hour or however long we do this. Uh, I am not Will. Uh, I'm temporary Will. Uh, I'm your your temporary co-host, uh, Johnny Bashir. Will is uh, out with a, a scorching case of herpes, and so he'll be back when he when he can figure it out. Um, he's, he's got some creams and ointments. I'm sure they'll work fine. Uh, just has to tell his wife about his girlfriend now. So there's that. You're listening to the Budos Band, theoretically. I'm assuming that Will is editing this furiously right now, both in spirit and in temper. And he's putting the Budos Band in the background, which we're all big fans of. So there's that. Today, we will be talking about Arkansas Pine Bluff and some of the lineup choices. We will talk about Stanford and the Bill Walton experience. We will get into the newest game, Alabama State, which is taking the place of Rice because of COVID stuff. Uh, we will briefly mention that Incarnate Word exists, and then we'll talk about some macro stuff that Tim and I are both sort of pondering. So, Tim, how you doing, man? Better than Will. Good God. Yeah, Way better just, than Will. Yeah, he, he, I, I could have done without the photos. It's like a Dave Chappelle skit. Uh, tough stuff there. So, no, we're, I'm, I'm Will. Happy holidays, everybody out there. If you're listening, hope that you and your family are healthy and doing okay. We are not... Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm about to get myself in trouble here. We are, we are not COVID deniers here. So uh, uh, around my school and, and my community, there's a there's a lot of it going around. Uh, I have three. Well, I don't have three. My wife has three siblings who are directly uh, employed by uh, in our healthcare system. Her brother is a doctor. Her other brother is a head uh, chaplain at a hospital, and then her sister is a occupational therapist who spent the last two years as a COVID nurse because occupational therapists aren't doing a whole lot of work right now. I get to hear tons and tons about how things are going. So uh, as this whatever new wave comes around, I hope that you and your family are are, are well and safe. And uh, boy, I, sure, I hope you're vaccinated and boosted. That'd be great. So if not, uh, hey, do your thing, but good luck. So uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good, good luck, man. Just uh, yeah, good luck uh, with that choice. So, speaking of uh, choices, Texas chose to bring Arkansas Pine Bluff to town and uh, proceeded to beat the unholy hell out of them because they're terrible. The only really notable thing out of this, I mean, aside from the fact that it started 17-1, to which is a really weird score to have 10 minutes into a game, uh, is that it seemed like this was the game where Chris Beard was trying to send some messages to various players. Uh, and given how much Tristan Lacone played, <laughs> I feel like there were a couple different guys who were probably getting messages sent their way. Marcus Carr was out of the starting lineup for the first time uh, this year that I recall. Uh, he didn't play a whole lot, uh, and he didn't. He wasn't the first guy in either, so it wasn't a six-man situation exactly. And there's just a. It was just a real. It was a really weird lineup for most of the game because they're one trying to bring uh Dylan Dusu in because he was finally medically cleared to play uh, and he got to play a, a total of 12 minutes then Marcus Carr was sort of on the bench in in whatever role that was so uh Tim what what did you take out of the uh the decisions with the roster lineup and 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 how he was doling out minutes I thought it was strange and it goes against some of the narratives that I think are being thrown around about this team 
So since Beard kind of went through and changed a lot of the initial schedule and kind of, you know, dropped out of the Maui invitation or whatever, like whatever tournament we were going to go to and, you know, <laughs> ended up uh, creating this yeah, new it was a the it was in the the two K thing in Brooklyn, right? Yeah, that's right. That's that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. and just in deciding to play some of the teams that he decided to play, like it's it became very clear, like oh, okay, well this they're going to the narrative is going to be, hey, we don't know each other as a as a group of individuals becoming a team just yet. We're we're still figuring out like how do we function inside of Beard's system, and it's just going to take some time to gel. Yeah, these games are going to be boring, but there's a purpose. Like, there's a reason that we're going to do this, and it's going to be so that in two months, the things that we can work on right now in some pressure-free environments are going to pay dividends down the road. Which, whether you agree with that decision-making process or not, at the very least, you can. I would imagine at least you can see the the logic behind it. Again, agree or disagree, I th- I think it's it's at least there is some logic to it. Unless you're actively saying that it's not working, <laughs> and it's and and some like, whether it's a tacit you know tacit admission or whether it's it's something that they're saying actively, like to make these kind of changes at this point in the season, especially the kind of changes where it, it feels like oh, okay, well, who are our playmakers? Who are our primary ball handlers? Who are the guys who are going to facilitate as offense initiators or whatever like to, to, to totally change that and then to say oh no we're gonna have our d3 walk on you know be the guy who's gonna send a message like i mean i'm glad that lacone works hard in practice and i'm glad that he might you know be a guy who can shoot wide open shots or whatever. like he's not a d1 player at this level of where we aspire to in the same way that ian mooney wasn't a d1 player in 2008 or whatever it was when he was getting minutes over justin mason and and whoever like it's just if you feel like the need to to send a message, then obviously some of this stuff just isn't working. <laughs> and I didn't. I, I actually I don't like having Andrew Jones start. Like I don't think that's a really deci- a smart decision. I think he's a he's a guy that can come off the bench and be an instant offense guy. I think that his athleticism has kind of like rounded into shape, and that shape is just not what it was four years ago. It's clear that he's someone that I think can probably be a thinker of the game and come in and, and be someone that can generate some offense uh, after we've seen what the defense is trying to do against us. And he's also you- seemed to sort of uh, thrive in that role. Like when, when he, when he went from being a starter to the six man, he seemed to really pick up his game. I agree. So it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me from what is their rationale? What's their reasoning? Because if your reasoning is, Hey, what we're doing with the, with playing these games against these teams is that we're going to iron stuff out. Then you don't put Lacone in the game. Like you just don't do it. <laughs> like it just, it doesn't make any sense because these are not the games to send messages. If you're, if you're, if you're putting these games in, like all we're trying to do is iron out stuff. That's all you're trying to do. Like you're not trying to send, you know, like be like, Hey, win or else. Like we're smashing these teams. Like we're not probably smashing them by as much as we'd like to smash them by, but we're not, these aren't close games. These aren't games that are in doubt. So if that's the case, then, then every moment that we are missing or that we are playing mind games with this stuff is a wasted moment. Far be it for me to like tell Beard how to coach his team or to say like, this is what it should be like, but. I don't know, like that, that to me, the message, the messages don't make sense then. Like it, it would have made sense in game three or four 
when you had a five game stretch of, of shitties that you're playing against, but we played Stanford the next game and we're running out of games like this. Like we, we don't need to send those messages, messages anymore, hopefully. Or if we do need to send the messages, then that is an admission that what we're doing is not working. <laughs> so it, it was, it was very confusing. And, and uh, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't love it. So I, I'll put this another way. Do, do you think that? I don't know that I believe this, but I, I do have to wonder, do you think that Beard is panicking at all? Because, like, okay, so l- let's let's put this in a, in a different frame. Andrew Jones being pulled from the starting lineup and being reassigned, as it were, to six-man, uh, that's sort of a message, but at the same time, it was a reallocation of resources that, that panned out and, and worked well. Marcus Carr going from being a starter... And, you know, is supposedly the, the, you know, kind of the bell cow of the transfer class to just like not getting in for several minutes in the first half against scrubs because of whatever reason. And we're playing the walk on instead. That doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. It's not there's there's not a rationale I can get behind there. And then you especially when you kind of combine in we're also trying to integrate Desu into this thing. You're right that if you're trying to iron this stuff out, if you're trying to find the rotations that work, then you're not throwing Lacone in in the first half, even against an overmatched opponent. But I guess my uh, to circle back with the sort of lack of I don't know rationale from the outside point of view. Do you think Beard is panicking at all about about what he's got going on here? Uh, tough to really say. I can tell you that the narrative the last couple of days from the staff has been that they're nervous about Ramey and Carr that Carr that Marcus and Courtney are not playing up to the level that they that the staff thinks that they should or is hopeful that they would have how they are trying to navigate that reality is yeah maybe they're doing it from a standpoint like all right well like we're trying this other stuff in practice and we need to okay well we'll send this emotional message during the games I, I don't really know we can we can explore that a little bit more later in the podcast when we start talking about some of the more macro stuff. But I guess I do where I'm likely to sort of like point a finger and say this is a you know this is where I think he probably could be panicking. I I don't know. I think he just he strikes me as so type A. <laughs> he strikes me as as so purposeful and self assured. Yeah, that- maybe panicking is a poor choice of words. Maybe it's more is is, is he just throwing shit against a wall yeah being overly reactionary or something like that yeah i i I hear you um it's i i don't i don't think he i mean he's he's an extremely intense dude so he he might panic very intensely i don't know um but it's it's yeah it just doesn't there it it's it doesn't seem to me like uh decisions made out of here is a clear logic behind it at least from our perspective, right? Like maybe there's something internally that they, they're, they see that they're like, okay, for this very specific reason, we got to do X, Y, and Z. Um, that's, that's always there. And, and I'm, I may not, may just not be able to divine it from where I'm at, but it just doesn't, the stuff doesn't make sense. And, and, and it feels like if not panicking to them, just trying to try stuff to try it. I do think where he's likely to be in a, situation that is foreign to him at least as a head coach i mean maybe you could say that you know the national title team that that they had was certainly very gifted but those were his guys that like he brought in purposely like it was it it was it was still guys that like kind of chip on their shoulder guys guys that you know even the guys he brought in like owens and mooney they weren't they weren't you know high level like espn was not going to rank them the top transfers in the country maybe owens i don't know but mooney was like 
Yeah, I think he, Owens would have, but yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's from that standpoint, this is this has got to be a little bit for him too, kind of a weird situation because he's bringing in high caliber guys that really, these guys, like just about all of them, certainly Mitchell and Carr and Allen could have chosen any place in the country, wherever they wanted to go. They could have just basically picked and every college team in the country would have been like, yeah, come play for us. And so, and, and certainly, you know, I think Ramey and, and Jones could have left and gone somewhere else and just about every college team in the country would have taken them too. So how he's, how he's figuring out a way to appease everybody or if not appease everybody, figure out how he's going to not appease everybody and deal with those consequences <laughs> and and what his system will or should look like depending upon what guys were hopeful for when they came to Texas or if it's not going to be what they were hopeful for, how he tells them to just fucking deal with it, <laughs> you know, like that's that's probably is I, I don't know I if it's if that's not a big part of what he's dealing with every day, then he has the 13 or 15 absolute best guys in the history of college basketball, like then they are just truly special because you know, when we'll talk later on in the podcast about like about how like shots are down and how minutes are down and like the actual genuine sacrifices these guys are making to play at Texas under Beard in ways that really is not making almost anyone look good as a pro prospect. Uh, that's yep. you know that's like it's that's that's genuinely. I mean this like truthfully. That's a I don't know that I could could speak of them more highly if they're if they're okay with it. I can't imagine they're all okay with it. So what is he having to do to to kind of navigate those potentially murkies or possibly poisoned waters as the year goes on? We'll see. So um, I don't know that he's panicking. I don't know that he's having to be reactionary yet. He may well be, and how that how that impacts the team going forward. As I'm I'm I am absolutely riveted <laughs> to find out if if he can. If he can go all the way through a season with team or with these guys, like not being like fuck this shit, like I could I could have gone anywhere. You lied to me, or like this is not what I signed up for, or whatever. So yeah, yeah. So uh, speaking of people who could have gone wherever, we're going to talk about Stanford and Harrison Ingram now because he is uh, pretty clearly the only thing Stanford's got going at the moment. Texas beat Stanford sixty to fifty three in a game that was. Uh, attended by approximately 200 of their closest family and friends because you know when you when you have a chance to get a team whose fan base doesn't travel for basketball like Texas and a team whose fan base doesn't travel like Stanford in the last few years and send them to Vegas to play on a Sunday at 2 p.m. when most of the people in Las Vegas are leaving Las Vegas to go back where they came from, hungover and broke on flights. You got to do that. You got to put that together. Well, and there wasn't even like another good boy, like uh, boys, sorry, another good like men's game afterwards that the people, okay, well, Kansas yeah. plays someone else after this and the fans will be there to watch. Like it was a women's game between San Diego and Texas. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, that's not really Texas fault so much because the, right. the, the other team, they, they were supposed to play had COVID issues. So that San Diego was sort of last minute, but yeah, it was. Oh yeah. I, yeah. No, no, I don't mean, I mean no shade at our women's team or San Diego's women's team. So. Yeah, thank you, noted women's basketball hater, Tim <laughs> Preston. Um, so, yeah, it was 
I, I I do have to take a moment and say that I feel like we might have finally unlocked the perfect situation for Bill Walton because I I think he's I, I, I can't generally stand him when he's calling games that a team I'm interested in is, is involved in um, because he's just there was a point early in his broadcast career where he did his rambling whatever stuff and it was sort of organic and funny and weird and you know the the people he was paired with to announce that they didn't really know what to do with it and it just made for some fun awkward weird and and occasionally brilliant tv uh but now he's in on the bit and he definitely kicks it up about three notches too far sort of sort of dick vital and the diaper dandy bullshit uh but it on heavy hallucinogens. And if you put Bill Walton in an arena where he knows it's quiet enough that the players can hear him, he actually tones it down. And he's back to his normal, just sort of eccentric self, where he says random things like dropping noted French pro cyclist Julian Alaphilippe's name in the middle of a broadcast for Texas Stanford, which... (laughs) Believe you me, I caught. Um, and it was uh, it, I, it was actually sort of delightful, his weird Pac-12 homerism and how Stanford did almost nothing wrong the entire game. Uh, and and it, was, it, was, it, was, it was kind of a delight in a game that was just a, sort of a slog. So anyway, uh, thank you, Bill Walton, for being stuck in an arena with 200 people. It worked well- out well. Uh, first of all, uh, throw it down one time. <laughs> there was there was at least a couple times in the game where he said it like very subdued, like like <laughs> just, just, just oh, and of throw course, it down one time, right? And uh, of course, his family owns seventeen McDonald's. Oh, throw it down one time, Christian Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I I have I'm on record of, as not uh, being bothered by Bill Walton that many others are. So. You, you. There will be no Bill Walton slander from me, but uh, I, I, do, I agree. There's a calmer, gentler Bill Walton uh, is not the worst thing in the world. So, and I, I think uh, Kevin Flaherty, who works for Twenty Four Seven, I believe, uh, he said it perfectly that Bill Walton is delightful when it is a game you have no rooting interest in, but when you want to hear actual analysis about your team, it's terrible. And so that's 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 where I feel that's that's how I feel about Bill Walton. So, you know, when he's just meandering about a Ken Burns documentary <laughs> in a game that doesn't mean anything, it's great. Comparing his or his, his broadcast host to like some weird fox with gigantic ears or whatever. Yeah, the desert fox. Or, yeah, he just kept calling him the desert fox over and over again. And yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so about the game itself, it was boring. Um, <laughs> so boring. <laughs> so good. <laughs> That's, that was this this from now on this is pretend we're bill walton like thanks yeah, <laughs> so. yeah pretty much yeah it's i mean it wasn't as bad as that china game that that game was dreadful to watch and texas and stanford played better than texas and was it a&m no washington. it was washington, it was washington. Yeah. yeah yeah um that that they they were just breaking everything um it was awful it was so awful and um at texas and stanford didn't brick everything so it was at least marginally better although stanford did manage to shoot the ball through the hoop the wrong direction once which is sort of amazing um i kind of feel like that kind of basket should count 
if it goes up and back down through the bottom. That just feels like that's, that would add a new flavor to the game. <laughs> if, I had, like, if I had one word to describe that, it would be disheartening. But if I had two words, the second word would be magical. So... <laughs> It was, but the first word, the first is disheartening. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it, it's it's pretty clear that Stanford is is but they're they're not <laughs> a good team. Um, they have Harrison Ingram, who is is legitimately good, um, and they are a better rebounding team than Texas, which kept them in the game for the first half. Uh, and then at some point at halftime, Chris Beard and staff went, you know, why don't we just stop Harrison Ingram? And they went, okay. And so they stopped Harrison Ingram, and Stanford just stopped scoring for a while. Um, that's pretty much what happened there. And then they had the uh, the Stanford. I, I don't even want to call it a run. They had the Stanford jog, where they went on an eight o jog that took seven minutes of clock. It was like seven and a half minutes of clock, which is yet another game where Texas in the second half just stopped scoring buckets for a while. I think that. No, they didn't get yeah, they didn't even get free throws. Like at Seton Hall, they at least got a couple free throws along the way. But I I am I am pretty concerned about this. I mean, one the the, the rebounding thing's not a surprise at this point. They're not they're not they're not a good rebounding team on the on the defensive glass uh against any team that's got size. Um what I am concerned about is if Stanford, a team that again is but can keep Texas from scoring for seven plus minutes, whether it is of their own volition or Stanford doing something interesting defensively, what are some of the Big 12 teams going to do to Texas? I, I'm concerned about that. What about you? Oh, 100%. I, yeah, <laughs> I think that, uh, well, the two teams that we have played that are ranked comparably to other Big 12 teams we've lost to, so Stanford would be, I think, 30 spots or close to that below the lowest ranked Ken Palm team in the Big 12 right now. I think it's Kansas State, perhaps, yeah. is, is ranked last. Yeah. But yep. but Stanford is is considerably lower than them. So you kind of, at least if the analytics are, are accurate, you would assume that that we're going into a slog of, of teams that can play. Surprise, surprise in this league. So. I just I don't know. We we asked this question a month ago. Like, can you can you cure what ails you against the best teams by playing the worst teams? And and maybe you can, but the hope would be that you can do so in a way that that looks clean and efficient and is finding opportunities to say, hey, here is what works well for us. Here are the personnel rotations. Here is the kind of like job responsibilities that our guys can excel in and to see us change some of those things to see guys shoot so poorly to see to see the way that we just look disjointed and confused yeah just it just it just doesn't look you know they're not pushing they're they're creating turnovers but they're not pushing pace they're you know they're they're you know they're forcing things in the in the in the post but even then, it just feels like without a whole lot of purpose, you know, we just when teams can really key in on Trey and Timmy, the more that we feed them, great. But like once the defense realizes, oh, we're better athletes than them, which every Big Twelve team in the in our in our conference is gonna is gonna have better athletes than our big guys inside. Not maybe no not more so than Desu, but certainly more so than Trey and Timmy. Like just that kind of stuff. Like it's just I don't know. They're <laughs> 
maybe maybe we're two weeks away from really getting our shit together and in five or six more games we're gonna we're gonna hit some kind of stride that's gonna look really good if that's the case I just don't think it's showing itself right now like we don't appear to be hitting any kind of stride we just appear to be kind of yuck and and two things are gonna be true about the teams we're gonna play we're going to run up against a string of teams that can rebound better than just about every team that we've played so far. I mean, Stanford's a good rebounding team, but like all, basically every team in the Big 12 is going to be at that level or maybe maybe even a little bit better. And we're going to run up against teams that consistently have a defensive presence in the post that will give our guards problems. And, and the guys like Andrew and Marcus and Ramey are already struggling to find their groove. Guys like Timmy and Trey are already getting blocked <laughs> when we're playing teams that are not great inside. Um, sometimes by the rim, Christian. Sometimes, uh, I, but <laughs> I liked when he threw it over the basket from two feet away. <laughs> he wants they want so badly to be Jericho, right? They probably all saw the highlights or whatever of, of Matt and Jericho. Anyway, it's fine. I get it. Like I can't dunk either right now. So, but yeah, I. I <laughs> <laughs> Mate, again, I think this de- our defense is going to translate. Our defense is legitimately good. I'm actually shocked by by how Beard and staff have taken this seemingly pretty unathletic group and turned them into a defensive juggernaut. Like we look pretty good, I think. Um, and again, we're smart, we're long. There's some things that we're able to do well, but uh, but offensively, I don't know, man. I don't. <laughs> if you told me. Hey, we're three weeks away from turning the corner. I mean, I'd, I'd say hooray, but uh, it's if that's the case, it, there's not a lot of inclination to that right now. Yeah, I guess um, I I am marginally less impressed by the defense than you are. I think it's good. I think it's definitely significantly better than it was to start the season. Um, they're doing a better job of keeping guys from doing baseline drives. Um, I think it's an interesting sort of tactical change that it's it's like they are marginally less interested in keeping teams out of the middle than you would expect, but they're playing the passing lanes more aggressively than I might have expected, at least on, on the perimeter. So, um, which is you know that's that's a that's a fine trade off to make if it, if it works, um, and hopefully it will continue to work. I I don't know how. Uh, how well they're going to keep up this sort of turnover percentage in big 12 play, but it's at least an, it's, it's a rationale I can understand. Right. Um, as far as the offense, my, my question is, uh, or what, what I am slightly terrified by is that when, uh, Texas bigs get fronted, entry passes disappear entirely. Um, they don't, they don't seem to be very good at feeding the post for the most part. Like if, if Allen and Mitchell make themselves extremely open, they hit them pretty, pretty well. But if, uh, if, if there's a doubt in the guard's mind, it's probably not going in. Um, and that's sort of, I don't know. This just kind of feels emblematic of the offense as a whole is that the guards are just doubting. They're doubting themselves. They're doubting when they should shoot. They're, and so they're passing up open shots. They're um, not pushing entry passes in when maybe they could. Um, they, don't, they don't go to the rim nearly as much as I would think, you know, based on preseason and who this is. Like, 
you know, I remember the first couple games when Raimi was driving and he just isn't as much. It's like he's he's not driving to the rim. He's driving to do that pull-up now. And Marcus Carr is just sort of, I don't know what he's doing. Hunting for floaters. Yeah, yeah. And like Andrew is is passing up open threes, which he shouldn't. And even Jace is passing up open threes, which, buddy, that's why we got you here. Like, that's that's a that's your thing so i you know i i don't i don't know if there is a a solution to this offense which this is one of those times when the analytics and the eye test don't necessarily match up right because the analytics say they're an efficient offense that they're uh they they get a lot of uh, points per possession relative to their peers uh well relative to d1 average um I don't think that's going to continue to be the case because I don't think they're going to continue to offensive rebound the way they have once they get into the Big 12. Um, I also don't think... Well, I'm I'm concerned about um, their three-point shooting because in the last three games, they are now, what did I say, 11 of 49, something like that. Uh, yeah, 11 of 49. So in the last three games, Seton Hall, Pine Bluff, and Stanford, that's 22.45% from three. Um, and I don't think they're going to be that bad the rest of the year, but that's, if, if they're going to get fewer open looks, they're probably gonna be taking more contested threes. And so they're, they're at 35.1% on the year right now. And I, I feel like that that's probably going to be, I, I don't think they're going to improve on that is, is where I, is my feeling. And if they're not improving on that, then defenses don't have to, uh, honor the three as much and they can start doubling guys like Bishop and Allen and Mitchell. And so then the, the shots from the big start to dry up and basically it's down to please Dylan Disu save us all from this burning building. <laughs> um, so speaking of, we, we've finally gotten a little bit of a taste of Dylan Disu in this first couple of games, albeit on minutes restrictions. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on what you've seen from Dylan Disu? I think he's an impressive athlete. I think he does a good job of playing big. I think he uses his length well around the perimeter when he's gone out there. He rebounds fine. I think he's got a repeatable, comfortable shot. He does a good job with his body balance as he's shooting. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more forceful movement with him as far as like as an obvious screen and pop or screen and roll guy. Like I think he can do either. Like he doesn't just have to be a shooter off of screens. He doesn't have to just be a roller off of screen. So I'd like, I'd like to see both and just put him in that situation a lot more, which I'm sure will happen as his minutes go up. Um, you know, who we pair him with, who can utilize him in those ways will be, you will be a little bit of a chore. Um, you know, I just, but I think his, his athletic dynamic dynamism just makes him more, I don't want to say more dangerous than Trey because Trey continues to do a good job of, of producing and executing. And I think in a way that that's obviously very helpful for us, but I I'd like to see that. I will be interested to see how, how the lineups work. Certainly we tried to counter Stanford's size and their rebounding ability. I think we got a decent amount of minutes, uh, at least in the first half where Timmy, Trey and Dylan played together. So, um, I know there was at least a, a four or five minute stretch where I saw that. So that's, that's not a terrible look for us as far as like, Hey, if we want to go big, I'm not sure I want 
Timmy and that kind of ball handling playmaking <laughs> role as much as we put him in. Um, he just kind of is a little bit of a turnover machine when we ask him to, to create from, from farther out. But yeah, I, I like, I like to sue. So we, you know, Johnny and I were texting maybe a week ago or so kind of as Dylan was getting ready to come back or shortly after he came back or whichever it might be. And I think what we were talking about then stands to reason now, like he, what he is, is a really terrific complimentary player. If we're expecting Dylan to come in and be a guy who's super high usage or someone who has the ball in his hands a lot or someone that just like you just say, Hey, we need a bucket. He's our guy and, and, and ask him to, to do some work in one-on-one situations, then we're going to probably be disappointed. I, I don't think that that will be the case very often at all. I think Timmy or, or Andrew or Courtney are more likely to be those kind of players. But if we can put him in spots where he can attack the rim off of like a recovering defense, if we can find him for some looks around the perimeter, if we can get him some opportunities like a second chance rebounder or something like that, um, he'll be good. So I, I think it's, it, he doesn't look worse for the wear. He doesn't look like tentative as far as his footwork or like planting and jumping or things like that. He doesn't look super crazy explosive, but he looks like our best leaper pretty easily. So I do think he's going to be a, a positive help for us. It'll be Beard's job, of course, now to figure out, all right, what's the personal rotations? Who fits best with, best with him on the floor? Which guards can utilize him most effectively? that kind of stuff. But I, I'm, I, I, he, I don't know. I would say as advertised, he's only had two games, but, um, but I think it's, yeah, it, it, it's promising so far. He has uh, yet another in our long list of guys who would make the, uh, a great second best player on a championship caliber team. Um, <laughs> I like, I, I, I don't mean that as a knock on to Sue. Like he's, I, I, I think Tim's, correct in what he said about him um i I think that there's a there's a role for him that 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 could be maximized and i i don't know if beard is going to maximize it we'll we'll see um i i think the guards have to be a lot more decisive and aggressive uh in their decisions to help unlock a guy like desu a little bit so we'll, we'll see um so upcoming, uh, Texas has uh, they, their game against Rice was replaced because Rice has COVID issues, and they, uh, they had a chance to get Kentucky, and they said, you know what, we don't want Kentucky, we want Alabama State. And so they went and got Alabama State. Yet another team from the SWAC, because Chris Beard loves beating the shit out of people from the SWAC. That's... That is his MO thus far this year. That uh, that replacement of Rice, uh, who was, I want to say, about 190 in Ken Palm, uh, and was, or, or one, was like 150. I, I can go look it up. They, yeah, like they were like 160, like 158, something like that, I want to say. When yeah, I yeah, last yeah. Time. Which was, uh, was going to be the second highest rated team in non-conference to come to Austin behind Tennessee. So uh, your premier 2021 non-conference home matchup was was Rice and is now replaced with Alabama State. So now Cal Baptist, is that right? Or Northern Colorado? Like, which would be the highest ranked team that... Uh, now it would be uh, Northern Colorado. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, was, that, that 199. That's, at, yeah, in the top 200. Look at that. <laughs> 
Um, and Texas non-conference strength of schedule went from 331st in the country out of 358 to 334 with this replacement. So, hooray! Uh, we're going to get that non-conference down to where it matches the rank of their tempo, uh, which is currently 356. They, they passed somebody. So, um, yeah, so Alabama State, um, who is quite bad, uh, will be uh, a Wednesday at uh, 1 p.m. Central, uh, time for Texas. And, uh, yes, it is on the Longhorn Network, if you're wondering. Um, they, they really, they, that was a coup for them to, to pick up Alabama versus Texas. Alabama State versus Texas. Yeah, um, not a lot to know about Alabama State. Uh, they play very fast, although, uh, they also turn the ball over a ton. And, um, they, they just want to get up and down the court. They don't really care which team scores. They just really want to run a lot. And, um, yeah, they, they haven't played much of anybody. Uh, they've won two games, one against Tuskegee, uh, which is not a D1 team. And uh, one, they, they beat North Carolina Central, who is currently number 328 in Ken Palm, by six points in overtime. So they're currently two and nine, and uh, they're coming to Texas. Um, basically, the only thing you really need to know is that uh, Gerald Liddell is coming back to Austin. He is, he is uh, now a junior, and he is with Alabama State, and he will be as prepared as anyone uh, on both sides of the court to play in front of 250 fans. So look at him. You know, he's actually doing all right. He's 9-20 uh, from 3 so far this year. Uh, he's uh, converting about 73% of his free throws. He's blocking a lot of shots, although, again, uh, not against the best teams. Well, they played... They did. They played Iowa State, lost by eight. They played Iowa, lost by twenty-six. They played Dayton, lost by thirty-nine. So, um, you know, <laughs> it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun time. They're gonna be getting up and down the court. So, uh, everybody enjoy up and down the court and uh, Gerald Liddell revenge game? Question mark. No. Um. Yeah, so, okay, uh, over under on attendance. I'm gonna, it, it's, it's a Wednesday, uh, December 22nd, 1 p.m. Central tip that was announced two days beforehand. I, I'm setting the over under, not announced, because they'll say 10,000. Right. Actual attendance over under at 500. I'll say 715. Okay. All right, so we'll see how that goes. One dollar, Bob. I feel like I feel like we could get somebody that like we got to know somebody who's going to be there and just have them count. Be like, is look, we won't know. Not Will, unfortunately, this time. No, yeah, get Will, Will in one of those bubbles. Just, just have him roll that Zorb ball through. Yeah, and, his and, best Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, yeah, and have him count. That, that's what, that's what we need. If, if any of y'all are going to the game and you want to count and tweet at us the the number you've counted, that would be awesome. That that's that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, you, you got anything about Alabama State, Tim? Well, as the resident Gerald Liddell fan, uh, I was the guy who was calling for him to start when he was a freshman. Uh, <clears throat> I, 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 yeah, come on now, hey, hey, this is. This is like sweet victory for me. So, <laughs> yeah, you didn't say where. Just you yeah. need to start. I uh, yeah. I mean, he's le- le- he leads our team in blocks. You know, I'm a huge Alabama fan. State. So, uh, uh, 
Yeah, I, not, not much. I, I don't know. I haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about them. I will say the eight-point loss Iowa State is actually kind of impressive. Like the Iowa State's played tremendously this year, so that suggests yeah. that maybe they're capable of playing at a decently high level. Uh, beyond that, if if Alabama State is willing to push tempo, I will be excited. I would love to see Texas play in the in the low to mid seventies. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm looking at that game against Iowa State, and uh, I think I know why it was an eight-point game, uh, because Iowa State shot one of 20 from three. That's a 5% make rate on threes. And it's not good, Johnny. No, it's not. no, uh, it's not. It's it's even worse than one for thirteen, which Texas has done recently. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that's probably it's probably gonna do it. They, yeah, pretty much. It was. Yep, that's 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 the story. The whole thing. Uh, <laughs> Alabama State was four fifteen, which means Iowa State fans watched teams go five of thirty five from three in that game, which I'm sure they enjoyed the hell out of. Um, yeah. So okay. Uh, also, Incarnate Word exists, and Texas is going to play them, which I did not realize they were a D one team. But congratulations to them for making it to the next level. Um, they will get pounded. I'm pretty sure that Ricky Williams is their director of basketball ops. I don't know that for oh, sure. Oh, so that's who we talked to about tickets. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, you've got to get a hookup on the Texas Incarnate Word tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that should be a bit of ours is we find the worst games and just try and be able to just bum tickets off people just to see the looks on their faces when they're like, seriously, for for. Arkansas Pie Bluff. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I got 17 to... tickets in row three. <laughs> <laughs> see if we see which, which we could use it as a proxy for which families are not happy about their, their, their son's playing time. Uh-huh. Like, oh, well, I got six tickets off Courtney Ramey's dad. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Incarnate Word. Uh, they got beat by Baylor by 27. Uh, they got beat by Texas Tech by. 22 uh they got beat by portland by nine and by abilene christian by 33 by purdue by 20 uh they did beat the hell out of our lady of the lake so congrats to them um but they did also lose to what is labeled concordia texas so i guess they played the city of concordia and lost by four points (laughs) so (laughs) I was one. wondering where you're going with that. It's like there's a lot of Concordia schools, man. It's probably reasonable yeah. to label which state it's from, but huh, yeah, I like, I like just, where we went with that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just the city of Concordia, Texas. They showed up. <laughs> they brought the bus to the town square. It was like, meet us at the gym, three o'clock, <laughs> and Our, then lost. The local park has raisable rims. We can get up to ten feet. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's a. It's not a good team. I think it doubles as a pickleball court. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'll still look better than Greg looked during that one game. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, what do you, where do your eyes go? What is happening here? Yeah. Right. It's 23 basketball courts on one. Uh, good luck, everybody. So, yeah, the the only notable thing about Incarnate Word to me, I mean, I guess you could do the, the, the uh, transitional property or transitive property game with Incarnate Word, see how much Texas wins by, compare it to Baylor and Tech and I don't know, Rice, why not? They lost by 30 to Rice. So, um, <laughs> or Abilene Christian, because we really need to win over Abilene Christian in any form. Um, 
Yeah, they they have uh, their tempo is like just about D one average, but the average possession length on defense is twenty fifth fastest in the country, which means they don't slow anyone down at all. Like teams basically just get a lot of straight line drives off them. Is, is right. what I'm guessing. If Courtney and Marcus can't get to the rim against them, then it's just hopeless. So yeah, yeah, because they don't. Do they have any? They got they got a six eleven guy. They do have a six eleven guy. Um, who is 20 of 48 from three. That's interesting. Maybe he gets to get some shots off against Texas. Um, they're still terrible offensively, so that's that's not going to be... They'll probably just not let that guy have the ball, and we'll be done. So, yeah, that will be the end of the non-conference slate. Um, and, you know, the next podcast, we'll start talking more about the Big 12. I do think uh, we need to talk about the fact that this team... or sort of analyze at least briefly why this team doesn't look better against bad teams. Like it's one thing for them to have a moment here and there where they kind of take their foot off the gas that that happens when, when you're, you know, beating the pants off somebody, but they're, these are really, really bad teams they're playing that they should be beating by 40 plus points or, you know, limiting them to school historic lows in points. Um, But they're not. Like, they're winning some of these pretty convincingly. Others, it's just sort of not quite getting there. Um, and I, I guess, Tim, I, I want to get your thoughts on on why they may not be just truly trouncing teams like we would hope. Well, it feels like there's one of three options. The first option is the narrative that says we do need to gel, that it's just a process that they're getting better at and we're just not there yet. That could be one. The second could be that our staff is realizing that some of the guys that they brought in just don't have some of the capabilities that they thought they were capable of, uh, which would be bad. And I don't think the case, but we'll see. The last one would be one of the things that I was most nervous about at the beginning of the season where I was talking about how my concern with a true motion offense is not necessarily the looks or the system or you know the the way that our plays are run so much as it is a concern with like hey some of the coaches that i know about motion offense that run a motion offense are just as concerned with like hey this is the shot that we want this is um the difference between a good shot and a great shot and we only want great shots which might be the reason that we are shooting so well and we are so efficient on offense. But that could also be why we're so hesitant and um, seemingly confused. You know, I'm not trying to push a story or one specific idea as far as what I think is is true or not true. I, I don't know. But that is something that I, in my own playing days, have experienced. And, um, and I'm certainly seeing some things from this team that remind me of like, okay, when you have a coach telling you that shot's not good enough or son, you're open for a reason or, hey, we can't, we can't have that. Like you can't miss these shots. Like if you're going to take it, you have to make it, <laughs> you know, which I've had, I've had coaches say to me before, like, you know, whether in practice or in game, like, okay, you, you only shoot if you're going to make it. Well, I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen. <laughs> and I, I've, I've seen some of that stuff. Um, you, you see some of the kind of looks in, in these guys' eyes and the way that they kind of move through, through their motions. Um, 
and it just it just it looks like that to me a little bit. So um, if it's not that, if it's not our coaching staff um, creating a sense of anxiety or I don't want to say dread, but certainly like like or at least hesitance. Um, Definitely hesitance. Uh, if if it's not that, then I guess it could be indicative of like I mean maybe we need more time, but if we need more time against teams this bad. Um, or if we look this unconvincing against teams this bad, I, then I don't know how many war games. Okay, well, nine games is not enough. We need 14. Well, we don't have 14. Um, you know, so I, I, I wish I had a more concrete answer for you. My, again, my, the cynical me is like, look, this is what Beard does. This is what he's like. Uh, the hopeful me is that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we are three weeks away, but. Um, it just it just looks like a bunch of guys who who are coming from situations where either they were the obvious go to player and they're not anymore, or they were in a system that was much more f- free flowing and gave them some more opportunities and creativity, or just was faster just in general, and now they're struggling to figure out their role and how they want to express themselves offensively, and that's creating an environment where they just they don't look very comfortable and they don't look like they like hey this is what i can do what i can't do this is what the defense is giving me so i i do this and stuff like that so yeah not not a great answer i apologize but no that's that's fine i mean that's 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 this was the pontification moment you've had your pontification moment uh we're gonna have another one i i don't know what to do with this information but it feels to me like maybe a small sign of what you're talking about of the indecision or uh, hesitancy to shoot is that uh, Brock Cunningham is currently outscoring Devin Eskew on the season. And Devin has been on the court for 40 more minutes than than Brock. Uh, if Askew is going to be that kind of a, a hole offensively, um, and it looks like he's getting more minutes right now because the, the coaches trust him for you know whatever reason... Um, that's that's just one of those little signs of like if his team's gonna have trouble scoring, and then they're gonna throw a guy out there like Askew for sixteen to twenty minutes a game who doesn't seem to want to shoot for whatever reason. It's it's just not. I don't know. It's 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 a problem. So I'm going to ask a question that is uh, was is a bit pointed, or I don't want to call it slanted exactly. It, it has a very specific purpose. Um, it is that I have had. And I, I counted at one point uh, today at least six current or former Texas basketball bloggers slash writers who have told me privately uh, of their own volition. Like it, I wasn't I wasn't taking a survey. They have told me that they are less interested in watching this team than they have been in years. Um, I know some of them like didn't pick up LHN, for example, because they're like, I don't. I don't need to see those games or they're just watching fewer games and I kind of feel it right. Like this is not an interesting team to watch. Like, like I had hoped I've got my own sort of hunches as to why, but I, I want to ask you what you think in terms of what, why some of us who have spent a lot of time watching Texas basketball over the years are, are less interested in watching this team than, than some of the previous ones. I can mostly speak. I mean, yeah, of course I can only speak for myself, but I guess it to me there's a there's a bunch of dynamics at play. I mean the first is 
I don't feel emotionally invested in these players. You know, these are not like Texas guys. These aren't guys that chose Texas out of high school. I mean, certainly they chose Texas whenever they did, but it's not that same. It just, it just isn't the same. And maybe that's the reality of the portal, like taking a hold on how we're thinking about the college game and, you know, between that and then the name, image, and likeness stuff, like it just, college sports is changing. So we're going to have to like, fans are going to have to change with it. And Texas is going to be an attractive school to players forever, right? I can't imagine unless Texas says we're done with sports, we're going to, we're going to be a big player in that game. But it, it just, it does feel, it does feel strange. Um, also, like if you're going to play teams like this, like when when Texas under whether it was Rick or Shaka played teams like this, the games that we saw against the really really worst teams in the country were like the breathe deeply games. Like, oh, we lost to Radford, we lost to VCU, we lost to whoever else that year. Here comes the Citadel, thank God, <laughs> and we're, we're going to absolutely destroy them. And we, by and large, did. Like we talked about earlier in the season, like like Shaka, when his teams played teams as bad as what we're playing, the average margin of victory for Shaka against teams like this was 44 points, right? So like e- even Shaka's teams were just blowing them out of the water, which is not happening, you know. Um, so so I feel like less invested in the players. Um, these results aren't fantastic. They just objectively, they're not fantastic. Um, and then the other part is like, I don't like, there's not wrinkles. Like, if you're playing teams this bad, like, like, so on the one hand, the, the outcomes are not in doubt. Like, they're just, they just simply are not, they can't be in doubt. Um, if the outcomes were in doubt, it would be indicative of like, this would be like when Rick's team lost to, Shamanized. Yeah. I mean, it would be like that. Like, perhaps worse, given, (laughs) literally. But, um, so it it just isn't a doubt. And Beard's teams, for whatever it's worth, like they just they don't lose these games. And and I mean, I guess you know, tip your cap to the guy. Good shit, my dude. But um, but if that's the case, like I don't want to just win. I want to do one of two things. I either want to like see a bunch of wrinkles that we're seeing, you know, that we can that we can watch these guys incorporate like, Oh, what a fun thing. Like, okay, I can see that we're actually running set plays that will get us a look that, you know, Jace coming around a curl, Dylan going in for, you know, some kind of rim run, you know, Marcus, whatever it might be. I don't even care what it is, but like some obvious set plays, like, okay, we can run set plays, not out of a timeout, almost like they're scripted or whatever. Or, can we see this team just absolutely dominate and impose their will? And we're seeing none of that. We're not dominating. We're not imposing our will. So it's sort of like this frustrating thing of like, well, the the only thing that we can take from these games is is the final score. Well, it's not in doubt. Like if if the outcome isn't in doubt, like why am I invested in that? Like why does that actually matter? And and part of it is, you know, that I love Texas sports and they really matter to me, but that only gets you so far. So like if I'm not super crazy invested in the players and I'm not super crazy invested in like the outcome of the game because there's no real question about it and I'm not super really interested in in like the wrinkles that we're throwing in, like what's what is there for me? Like what am I supposed to watch? Like am I supposed to be super impressed by how into it our bench is? Like that doesn't, that, that, I mean, I'm glad they are like, and as a coach, that's something I, I have had conversations with my own teams. Like, Hey, we cheer for our teammates, you know, like after every play, like you, you, you know, get that stuff out there. So that's great. And I'm, I'm glad for that. And I, I like the social media stuff, but that's only going to go so far. It just, 
we're paying Chris Beard five million bucks a year. Like this is, you know, is, for is an this entertainment a, product. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's not really entertaining, <laughs> right? So, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I think you know one of the things that when when Shaka came around, one of the things I liked about it was that it was a, a new coach with a new system that I got to learn about and I got to dig into and kind of really learn some new things, like learn about the Diamond Press, learn about the, the his his fist double fist and all that other stuff and like it was interesting right and i learned about his fist and double fist <laughs> yeah just, trust me i made i made so many jokes to myself uh when i was learning about that um it was uh you know I, hearing him talk about double fisting in front of larry brown at a coaching clinic was an experience um so uh i you know but i got to i got to learn some new stuff and then as the years went on, he would try new things. You know, some worked, some didn't. Uh, the the offense would change. Neil Barry came around, things changed on offense. When uh, Yaklich came around, things changed on defense. Like there was there was some significant tactical changes that that were interesting. Uh, this is just Chris Beard at a new place, right? Like, and and we have watched him for several years in the conference, so we're very well acquainted with him and his general tendencies and the things he likes to do. And he didn't deviate a ton from it uh, offensively. And the defense was the, you know, Mark Adams, no middle defense the whole time. And he basically brought sort of that stuff here. And so it's kind of, I don't know. It's like, I'm taking a class again, but I, I already took all the tests and like, I get it. So I, it's hard to really buy in. And, and I think there's something to, and this is, this is, I, I am I am entirely for the transfer portal, and I'm entirely for players getting the ability to move where they feel like is best for them. Um, but there is something to be said for like it. It does have a different feel of a guy like you know I don't know Marcus Carr coming here, and you know he's here for one year, but he's a senior, and he's probably already buying beer. And it's another thing you'd be like, oh Greg Brown, the potential, you know, whether it pans out or not, right? And um, and I guess, yeah, that's just sort of, these guys are all who they are and there's not these Kai Jones like, uh, leaps of, of ability and, and, and understanding and talent that you get to see that they keep things interesting. So yeah, it's just, it's just not as, not as fun. No, I agree. And I, and I guess this is not meant towards the staff cause I don't think, I don't think it's fair. I don't know that I can point to one thing, not even a single thing that I have seen so far this season of a player doing something now that they could not do the first game of the season. Like maybe they'll get more comfortable in the system. Maybe they'll feel like their role makes more sense. But as far as adding facets to their games or things that they couldn't do a month ago that they can do now i don't i don't know that i can pinpoint it at a even a, a one single thing i don't i don't know maybe you can but um, um but if i i think uh avery benson's beard has grown <laughs> it, no doubt yeah. no doubt i i a, have to live all, vicariously through his yeah pretty <laughs> amazing here yeah. but uh but you see, so if not that like you know that was that's that was college athletics right that was the way that we think about 
hey, I can't do this and now I can. You know, the, the progression and the development of an 18-year-old to a 19-year-old and a 19-year-old to a 21-year-old, hopefully. Or if not, at least like you have – ownership is a terrible thing. I don't know why that came into my mind. But like, you know, you own that that excitement about a player. You own that like the happiness for him and like, hey, you're part of this same love for this university and, and program that I have. Um, and I'm going to follow, you know, like I, I did, I did. I, when I watched the tra- tra- Trailblazers game last week when they played uh, the Suns, I looked for Greg on the bench. And when I saw him, I was like, oh, there he is. Hooray. Like, and he was like standing up and clapping and not playing, of course, because that's what he does at this point in his career. <laughs> but I was excited to see that. Like that, you know, that was, that's how I've experienced pro sports as a Texas fan for a long time. Like either you get to relish in KD being out there forever or being excited that Avery Bradley is playing with LeBron James or you get to watch Kai Jones on the bench and say, I know him. This is a guy that I'm interested in. And, and you know, but but like we've talked about the whole time, certainly our player development coach coached LeBron James. And LeBron James, one of the reasons that his son is considering Texas is because of that player development coach. Like we know he's capable, but there's only so much you can do in four months. <laughs> there's only so much you can actually work on, like when the games are coming twice or three times a week and you're figuring that out with finals and everything. Else. So it's it's just... It, man, it just it just everything, and then and then combine all of those things with like what me, must be going on in the players' minds when you think about how fast we're playing, what their shot selection is, how their sacrifices have gone up as their shots have gone down, things like that. So, I I would uh, really like in an I it, like if I was a billionaire, I would become a big Texas donor for the sole purpose of being able to install a speaker in Chris Beard's office so that when he's on recruiting calls and he talks about playing faster, I can just go bullshit. Just, just over the, over the let speaker. Uh, bullshit. It's not happening. It's definitely not happening. God, stupid Brashears and his billion dollars. <laughs> he paid for the new arena. So I have to <laughs> let that thing go. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I would be a terrible billionaire. Um, yeah. So, um, I, so I don't have anything else really at this point. I think we're, I mean, we're, we're already at over an hour. Okay, Tim, you got something. So just, so I'm going to leave, we can leave it with this. So here's some, some numbers. Now, obviously this is, this is certainly indicative of the fact that the guys that we brought in this year are, are capable players. And all of these guys are making coll- a collective sacrifice. I'm going to read to you player by player of our top, um, 10 guys, nine guys, how many shots less per game they are averaging this year than their previous season. So Timmy Allen is averaging four less shots a game than last year. Trey Mitchell is at four less shots a game. Andrew Jones is at five less shots a game. Ramey is at four less shots. Uh, Marcus Carr is at seven and a half less shots. Bishop is at two and a half less shots. Febris is at four and a half less shots. Askew is at three and a half less shots. DeSue is at five less shots. Um, and so we, you know, collectively, I want to say it's like, like 49. So, um, everyone together is, is averaging combined 49 less shots per game than what we were last year. Um, so take from that what you will, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not just playing slower, slow, a slower pace and how that impacts Texas. It's also, guys that came to texas who could have gone anywhere who could have chosen to take um 
to take their talents to just about any college in the country. And they've come here. And some of that reward is, is that we're nine and two, another part of, or eight and two. Another part of that reward is that they are all averaging um, considerably less shots per game, maybe four or, you know, between two and a half and, and basically eight less per game. It's, it's, these guys are sacrificing. They really are. So, yep. Yep. And it's, um, it's probably not going to get uh, much better just because it's not like they're going to suddenly get out and run a bunch. Um, so we'll see how the, how they, uh, handle that as the year goes on. Um, I imagine DeSue's probably going to pick up the pace a little bit, which means someone else is going to drop off a little bit. Um, but we'll see. So that's, uh, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, we will be back. Uh, the next show will be us talking about the big 12 conference because, these are the last two non-conference games uh, other than Tennessee, which is late January. So maybe next uh, next podcast we'll get into what we think of the Big 12, what we think about given teams, and um, how, how uh, interested and uh, how uh, terrified we are of some teams, uh, depending on which one we're talking about at the time. Uh, we can spend an hour discussing whether or not Iowa State is for real. They probably are. I, I, just, I just want to see some more. Um, anyway, yeah. So, uh, I have been your temporary will, uh, the non chlamydia will, uh, of the podcast. Um, uh, good luck with those ointments, man. We're, we're rooting for you and, uh, hopefully you'll be able to sit in a normal chair soon enough. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at W I L L B A I Z E R. Uh, you can find this podcast on, on the Hornscast channel, which is on Podbean and, a bunch of other places, uh, Stitcher, some, some stuff, play, places with, with podcasts. You just, just go there, and it'll it'll be there. Um, also, Will has a Patreon for Hornscast people. There's a, there's He's got some people who are patrons, and he will hopefully get some more because they love hearing about his STDs. Um, you can find me uh, on Substack at Bitter White Guy. You can find me on Twitter at Bitter White Guy. You can find me on Reddit at Bitter White Guy. It's a it's a pretty easy name. Um, and I'm uh, I'm out there just uh, trying not to tell people I called this in March, but I still say it some. Um, Tim, where where can we find you? Uh, on Twitter at Inside Texas Hoop, no S, and at InsideTexas.com. Amazing community, come hang out with us. We'd love to have you. All right, Tim, you got your uh, Rudy quote for the for the day? Desert power. Love that part when he conquers the desert. <laughs> All right, thanks everybody. See you soon. Hook 'em. <laughs>